0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much. Amazing. Wow, we serve a big God, don't we? Way bigger than we are. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for an incredible time already of of your presence and of worship, Lord. And we pray that continues as we open your word. And we study, Lord, the truth as we worship in spirit. And, Lord, as we worship in truth, I pray you would speak to us. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would be evident in our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord, through what we learn, that we'd be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm always excited about Sunday mornings, and I look forward and and, and really have this sense of of excitement and anticipation as time draws a little closer. For me, it really kind of kicks in Thursday afternoon. That's when I kind of start feeling it. It's a little bit different for me now than it used to be. As I kind of sense what the Lord's doing and, and where He's leading, I always look forward to come and seeing how He moves in the hearts of our people and <clears throat> seeing how He moves in the time of song. I'm amazing today as we sang and prayed and those of you that came and prayed from where you were sitting, it's always exciting when We see how the Lord moves as we open up His Word. And as believers, we should be excited and we should be expectant of Sunday morning and coming together as the body of Christ and doing something we get to do only one time a week. But there's something else we ought to be even more excited about. Because as believers, there is a time coming. At some point in the future, we don't know when it's going to take place. But there's a time coming when as believers we will worship God in heaven at the throne of God with every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Everybody that's ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior throughout history, throughout the world, will be assembled together in one place. And I can't help but think about all the the people that we're going to worship with on that day. I think about our our trips to Guatemala. Those of you that have been with us and have built those houses. I think about those families that we built those houses for, and I, I think about those dads who get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and walk for literally two hours to get to a bus to ride another hour and work all day and come home at night and do the same thing. I think about those believers and I think one day I'm going to worship with that man in heaven, the throne of God. I think about our friends in Zambia that we have just met. I think about that 18-year-old that she just talked about who because of our efforts, because of what the Lord has done in, in the hearts of the people of this church have been willing to go and have been willing to share, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit working on those trips, that young lady accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. You understand one day you're going to stand beside her, right? and you're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord. And I, I think about our, our brothers and sisters in Romania. Some of you have never been. Some of you have gone. Maybe you're praying about a trip to Romania next year. I, I have very fond memories of my time in Romania, and seeing in one particular village, Valimara, it's a very small little village, a very old European feel. The ladies dressed in the very traditional Romanian outfits, and we sat after VBS that afternoon for a worship service that night, and with the breeze blowing through the curtains and it pouring down right outside, I remember hearing the Word of the Lord and sharing communion with those people, and I think about those precious brothers and sisters, and I think one day I'm going to worship with them. I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with those believers in heaven one day. And I think about our, our, our trip to Brazil next year. I mean, you guys are praying about you're thinking about going to Brazil, and, and you're a little concerned, maybe you're a little scared, parents, you're a little concerned, you're a little scared. But I think about the people we're going to impact and, and the people we're going to lead to the Lord on that trip to Brazil. And I think, you know, those people are going to stand beside us in the throne room of heaven and we're going to worship the Lord. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, over and over and over, this is going to play out. You need to understand, until Christ comes back. So this morning I want to take just, just a few minutes and, and try to get just a little glimpse of what that worship might look like. As, as difficult as that is for us to fully comprehend in this world I want to think about what worshiping with the nations will look like so if you have your bibles I want you to open to revelation chapter 15 revelation chapter 15 this is our fifth week in our study on worship and we've talked a lot about individual worship up to this point we we've talked about the importance of preparing our hearts for worship being ready to receive whatever the Lord is going to show us. And we've talked about how worship should extend throughout our week and it should be a, a time of excitement and preparation leading up to our services. We talked about the importance of giving everything we have to the Lord in a time of worship, whatever that looks like for us. Last week in Psalm 150, we answered kind of four questions. Where should we worship? Why should we worship? How should we worship? Who should we worship? And this week, we're going to talk about the future of worship, what it's going to look like one day. When all the saints are gathered and all the nations are gathered and every tr- tongue and tribe and, and language is assembled together. I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of Revelation. As we open up the text this morning, Revelation is written by John. As many of you know, in Revelation, is a vision that John has of the Lord and the throne and times yet to come. Now, we need to be very careful when we study the book of Revelation because it's very easy for us to get caught up in the imagery of the book of Revelation. And when I mention the book of Revelation, you probably begin to think of things like the end times, or maybe you think about the sign of the beast, or the plagues, or the Antichrist, and all those things are important, and all those things are found in the book of Revelation. But I don't want to lose sight of the purpose of the book of Revelation. See, the purpose of the book is to reveal the glory of the Lord to us. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of his power and his sovereignty and his justice and his wisdom and, and his goodness. And it, it all points to the coming kingdom of the Lord. And it points to a time when we'll all assemble together and all the nations will gather together to worship him. And so I want to focus this morning on what that time will look like in Revelation chapter 15. We're going to study the first four verses this morning. I think we have them on the screen for you. Revelation chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I saw, this is John speaking. In heaven, another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Now let me just pause for a second. There's a lot that's happened in the first 14 verses of the book of Revelation. I'm not going to try to summarize it. I'll encourage you to read back through it and take a look at it, but a lot has taken place here in verse 2. John says, I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And remember, we read that a few minutes ago, and I read out of chapter 7 of the book of Revelation John describes this as a sea of glass with fire, and standing beside the sea, there's this group of people, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, and they held harps given them by God. Now verse 3, listen to what they do. And sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And here's what they sing. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, Verse 4, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now this is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of the throne. It's a picture of our time of worship one day in heaven. As we begin to examine this, as we begin to understand the truth of what John's saying here, it ought to lead us to worship it ought to lead us to worship as we think about who Christ is and all Christ accomplished. And so there are three reasons from this text I think we ought to worship the Lord. And there are three reasons that in the end times this group of people standing beside the sea that had been victorious over the beast, there are reasons that they worship the Lord. And I want to walk through those this morning. I want to examine them. Here's the first reason as we take a look at this text. I think number one, as we think about our future worship in heaven with Christ eternally, Number one, we will worship the eternal God. We worship Him because He's eternal. Now let's try to understand verses 1 and 2 just for a couple of minutes because it can be very confusing as we read through the book of Revelation trying to understand exactly what John's getting at here. Now we read in this text in verses 1 and 2 that John is speaking about a group of people that have been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. So there's this group of people standing beside the sea of glass that have been victorious over the beast. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about what that means and what that looks like and how that took place and the history and how it ties into the Old Testament, but I don't want to go into all that this morning. Here's what I want you to understand. Most scholars believe that these are people that lived in the end times, possibly the tribulation. Most scholars believe that these people were faithful to Christ even in the end times and that they were eventually killed for their faith. Okay, so these people in verses 1 and 2 that stand beside this sea are martyrs. For the sake of Christ. They've given up everything, right? They've sacrificed every part of their life. They sacrificed their their very life simply because of their love for Christ, simply because of their desire to serve Him. But instead of focusing on who they are, I want to focus on what they're doing. Look at what verse 3 says, the end of verse 2 and verse 3. They held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. So there are kind of two things they're doing here. They're they're singing this song. The first part of the song relates to Moses, and the second part relates to the Lamb. Now let's back up just for a second, because we need to understand what's going on here. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know anything about the story of Moses, you understand that Moses was called of the Lord in the book of Exodus. He went into Egypt, he spoke to the Pharaoh, and after the series of, you know the story, Ten Plagues... The captive children of Israel, the people that were enslaved to the Egyptian people, were finally let go into the desert. You may remember the story. The final plague, the tenth plague, is the Passover. Remember the blood is sprinkled and they ride it across the doorpost of their house. The death angel comes and if the blood is over the doorpost, it passes over their house. Right? That's the tenth plague. Well, After that, Pharaoh allows the people to go into the desert, into the wilderness, in order to worship the Lord. But at the moment that Pharaoh allows them to leave, he kind of changes his mind. You remember the story. And so he pursues the children of Israel into the desert. So here's the picture. These people have just left Egypt. Probably two million people. We can estimate the number based on men, women, and children. And, and we can kind of get an idea of how many, lots and lots and lots of people in the desert. And they flee the Israelites, excuse me, they flee the Egyptians. But they find themselves trapped up against the Red Sea. And so Pharaoh is pursuing them, and you may remember the story. The Lord calls a pillar of fire and cloud to kind of go between the children of Israel that are kind of backed up against the sea, and the Pharaoh and his chariots and the massive army on this side. And the Bible says that the Lord calls Moses to do something very interesting. So we pick up the story in Exodus 14. You don't have to flip, but I want you to listen to what happens here. Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Just get the picture here now. Millions of people trapped up against the ocean, The mighty Pharaoh army, the only thing between them is the pillar of cloud and fire. And then Exodus 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Okay? And all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground and a wall of water on their right. And on their left. You say, Adam, do you really believe that happened? Absolutely, I believe it happened. I mean, it's found in Scripture, first of all. But secondly, it's the very thing that the people who are martyred for their belief, when they stand before the throne in heaven, it's the very thing they sing about and remember. See, it points to the faithfulness and the power and the glory of the Lord as he rescued the Israelites. But here's the interesting part about that story. If you were to continue to read in Exodus chapter 15, you read in verse 1, Then Moses and the people of Israel, watch this, sang this song to the Lord. See, they crossed the sea. God has been victorious. He's allowed the water to crash back in over the Pharaoh army. The people of Israel are safe. They're secure. They're on the other side of the sea. And Moses and his people stop and they sing this song, saying in Exodus 15, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and he has chosen, and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea and the floods covered them and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O God, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. See, it's, it's a picture here. It's a picture of who the Lord was all these years ago. And so these people stand in heaven to worship and they remember the faithfulness of the Lord. They remember the power of the Lord. They remember the glory of the Lord. But let's back up one step farther. Let's understand this a little more clearly. You may remember before Moses ever goes into Pharaoh, before he ever goes and asks for the Israelites to be released into the wilderness, before the plagues ever come, Exodus chapter three, Moses is tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro. You may remember the story, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's out in the desert, and he sees a. You remember a burning bush. And he goes to the bush and the Lord says to Moses, you need to go and you need to bring the children of Israel out of captivity. And Moses said to God in verse 13, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is your name? What shall I tell them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, you remember the name God uses for himself? I am that I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. To you. See, it's not I was, it's not I one day kind of hope to be, it's I am. You see, that God is eternal. It's not about yesterday, it's not about today, it's not about tomorrow. God is the same yesterday, He's the same today, He's the same tomorrow. And when the people gather around the throne of heaven to worship Him, they're going to remember His glory and they're going to remember his power and they're going to remember his faithfulness from eternity past and they're going to look ahead to his faithfulness in eternity future you say well that's an interesting story Adam that's a a great truth and I understand that but how does that apply to me now right and we're talking about a throne room in heaven We're talking about centuries ago in the children of Israel, and we're looking at centuries in. We're talking about eternity past and eternity future. How does that affect me today? Here's how it affects you today. If God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then he can be trusted, can he? See, we can rely on him. I think about this church, and I, I think about all that this church has accomplished. I, I'm curious in this service. It was quite a bit of people in the 830 service. How many of you have been here more than 25 years? Just raise your hand. More than 25 years? Wow, that's amazing. It was well over half in the 830 service. Some of those people have been here since the beginning. Some of you maybe have been here from the beginning. But see, I, I look out upon the people and I, and, I, and I look out upon the history of this church and I see all that God has done, right? Now I, want you, now, I want you to do something different for me. It doesn't matter how long you've been here. If you've seen the Lord work at some point in this church since you've been here, I want you to raise your hand. Just do, If he's done something, I want you to raise your hand. Almost everybody. Some of you you are visiting or haven't been here for a while. See, here's the the truth, right? The Lord does amazing things. We know that. And we we know that he's done amazing things in the past, but here's the truth of this text. If the Lord's eternal and he's done amazing things in the past, guess what? He's going to continue to do amazing things now, and he's going to do amazing things as we move forward in the future, isn't he? And so as believers, we don't have to be afraid, do we? We don't have to be timid about yeah. Lord, I'm not sure if I want to serve. I'm not sure that the testimony was so powerful because she really kind of showed her heart about her fear. See, she was afraid, but guess what? The Lord never was, was He? (laughs) He knew. He knew what he was going to do in her heart. He knew what he was going to do in her life. He knew what he was going to do in that team. He knows what he's going to do in your life. He knows what he's going to do in your heart. He knows what he's going to do on your mission trip or whatever that looks like in your life. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's eternal. He's faithful. He can be trusted. We can move forward knowing he's going to work, knowing he's going to protect us, knowing he's going to guide us and direct us to do his will. The people on the throne in the end times understand that. See, you don't have to be concerned because I am still is, right? (laughs) And so we walk with boldness, don't we? We walk with anticipation. We move forward with excitement. Not concerned about the future, but excited for the future. Excited for where we're going. Excited for what we're going to be doing. Excited for how the Lord is going to bless us. But I want you to notice what the people in the throne room do. They, They don't just talk about Moses they don't just talk about the faithfulness of the past. They also sing the song of the Lamb. You say, that's an interesting song for them to sing. See that in the first part of the verse? They sing the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. That's interesting. They're singing about a lamb. You know, what? ba Black Sheep. And what song or what song are we talking about here? What lamb are we talking about? Well, if you study Scripture, you understand that all through the Bible, Christ is referred to as the Lamb, right? So, for example... John chapter 1, verse 35 and 36. John the Baptist is out baptizing in the wilderness. The Bible says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Right? We see in 1 Peter 1.19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a Lamb without blemish. Isaiah 53, one of the greatest prophecies in all the Bible, looking ahead to Christ, written 700 years before his birth. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You see, the, the, the people in the throne room in Revelation 15 understand the faithfulness of the Lord. They understand his faithfulness through the Israelite people. They understand his faithfulness through the Old Testament. They understand his faithfulness by sending Christ to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. And they understand that he will continue to be faithful in years and years and eternity forward because he's the eternal God that's worthy of our worship. Now take a look again at verse 3 as we continue to move forward. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. And here's what they say. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. So see, not only do we worship the eternal God, but number two, we worship the Almighty King. We worship the Almighty King. Now there are some differences in opinions about that word nations. In fact, if you have the NIV or the ESV, it says nations. If you have the King James or the New King James, it says saints. And so there's some some disagreement about exactly what word is used there. But here's what the scholars don't disagree on. The scholars may disagree on the name nation or saints, or some even use the word ages. But all of them agree that it's still the word king. See that? Christ, regardless of how we describe him, is still our king so we see passages all through Scripture that speak about Jesus as our King. John one forty nine. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. We see in John 18.32, Pilate went back inside of the palace and he summoned Jesus and he asked Him, are you the King of the Jews? Not only do we see that He's the King, but we read about the Kingdom of Heaven. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, repent for the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now John was arrested and Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, it's clear over and over, and I don't have time this wanting to read all these passages. It's clear in Scripture that Christ is called our king and he speaks oftentimes of his kingdom. The question really isn't about him being king, but here's the problem for so many believers in our lives. We read the truth of scripture that says he is our king and yet we don't live our lives as if we give him everything. We, we talk about him being king and yet we hold on to certain things that we just don't want to let go. There, there's a, a legend about the crusades. I have a degree in history and enjoy reading history. And the crusades were basically 11th, 12th, 13th centuries. And the crusades were when knights from Europe based on Christian, I put that in quotes, beliefs, went into the Middle East and basically fought Muslims to try to take back the Holy Land. So all these battles and all these wars and all these things that took place and these knights would go and before they would go to do battle to try to take these lands back, they would always be baptized by the church. And there's a legend that says when these men were baptized, when these knights were baptized, as they were baptized in the water, they would allow the water to cover every part of their body and they would hold their swords and their arms out away from the water so that they wouldn't allow it to be baptized. You say, that's that's an interesting thing to do. Why would they do that? Because here's what they were saying. Lord, you can have everything about me except for my sword. Because when I go into battle, Lord, I want to decide how and when to use this. You know, I think it's the same for believers today, right? I think it's very easy for us if we're not careful to say to the Lord, "You, you can have everything, Lord, except this." <laughs> I'm going to give you Sunday morning. I'm going to give you a, an hour or so a week and study. I'm going to pray a little bit, Lord. I'm going to all this, Lord. You can have, but I'm going to hold this to myself, Lord. You can't have my finances. That's mine. You may be king, but you're not king of that, Lord. Or you can have all this stuff, Lord, but you can't have my thoughts. I'm going to continue to think these things, Lord. I'm going, to, I'm going to continue to have these visions in my mind. You can have everything, but you can't have that, Lord. Or, Lord, you, you can have everything, but you can't have my job. i mean, I, I got I to act a certain way. I can't really act like a believer on the job. If I did, Lord, I would never get, get ahead, and nobody would really respect me, and I've got to kind of be harsh. And So you can have the rest of my life, Lord, but you can't have this. Or Lord, you, you can have all this in my life, but you can't have this addiction over here. This is something I'm going to hold on to, Lord. I want to kind of keep that to myself because I enjoy that. And, you know, Lord, at least I believe as long as I I set that aside and I do all this other stuff, good, you're going to be pleased, Lord. You can be king, but not of everything. One writer said it a lot better than I can, so I'm just going to read his quote. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. With Jesus, it's an all-or-nothing proposition. We do not get to compartmentalize our faith. If we are to follow Jesus, then his commands and teachings influence every part of our lives. See that? We worship him as king, so we need to give him control of everything. Now finally, as we kind of wind down this morning, we're running short on time. I know, verse 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy? There's this rhetorical question like, who's not going to fear you, Lord, right? All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. So not only do we worship the eternal God, not only do we worship the almighty King, but thirdly, we worship the God of the nations. See, there's a time coming when every tribe and every tongue and every language will worship the Lord. But see, here's the problem. I love how these saints in verse 4 ask this question. I can just imagine them asking the question, not even having any clue how anybody couldn't worship the Lord. Who will not fear you, Lord? It's obvious. Who will not fear you and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy? In other words, Lord, we've seen you now. We've we've seen the throne. We've seen your glory. We see your faithfulness from eternity past with Moses and with the children of Israel and with Christ and who you are and your power. And we see your faithfulness in eternity future. Lord, who will not worship you? For you alone are holy. It's so obvious to these people. But here's the problem in our world today. It's not obvious for people that have never heard of Christ. It's not obvious to them. You guys remember that that fad probably eight or ten years ago. I don't know how long it was. You'd go into the malls. And they had these little kiosks set up, and they had these, uh, they called them magic eye pictures. You remember those? They were like just kind of weird patterns, and you're supposed to stare at them for a long time, and something 3D would pop off the page. You remember those? How many of you remember those? Most of you. That's good. Yeah, I actually, I'm not going to show it because I had one to show, but you just can't. It's hard to see. So I'm not going to bring it up. I'm going to kind of let you imagine and pretend it's up there. But you can go home and Google it, and there are all sorts of pictures. If you stare at it long enough, you see the 3D picture, well, they tell you when you look at it, you're kind of supposed to cross your eyes a little bit, you know? You know what I'm talking about? I always enjoyed going to the mall and watching the people way more than the pictures. Because when you see somebody trying to look at it, they're like, eyes are crossed, and they got this staring into this strange look, you know? But it's funny because you're, you're looking at them, and they're kind of like, uh, and then when they see it, it's like, oh, and it kind of just lights up, Right? And they're starting to say, can you see it? You can't see it. It's right there, right? You see his head and it's clear. Once you see it, you understand it's clear to you. How could you not see this? How can you not see this picture? And you're dumbfounded that everybody else around you can't see it, right? You remember those days at the mall, standing at the kiosk. You remember those days, right? We've done that. It's kind of like that in Revelation 15. These people have seen it. They've seen the glory of the Lord. They've seen the power. They've seen His majesty. They've seen His holiness. They can't believe that anybody else would. Who will not fear you, Lord? Who's not going to fear you and worship you and bring glory to your name because you are holy? See, here's the truth. We've all seen it, haven't we? We, we've seen the power of the Lord. We've seen the glory of the Lord. We've seen all the Lord has done for us and all that He's given us. And we've seen how He's worked. And I asked you to raise your hand a couple of minutes ago and I ask you to show me if you've seen the power of the Lord. And you've seen it, right? And so we ought to be walking around in this world going, you know, who, who hadn't seen it? What, what are you missing here? And as we walk into a lost and dying world that doesn't understand and hasn't seen it, and it's not an obvious obvious them, it's our call and our responsibility as believers to show it to the world. You understand that? I want to be real careful here. I don't want you to throw anything at me right at the end of the service. God doesn't call us just to show up at church and sit. That's not what he calls us to do. He doesn't call us to come in here and be comfortable, feel good about ourselves for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, go home and live our lives any way we want to live it. It's not what God calls us to do. He does not call us to see his glory and experience his power and never share it with anybody else. That's not what he calls us to do. That's not who he calls us to be. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? It's obvious because we've seen it, we've experienced. So I just want to encourage you guys. We have these meetings today about Guatemala and Zambia. We've got all sorts of other opportunities all through next year. You need to be praying about that. You need to be seeking the Lord because you've seen His glory and you've seen His power and you've seen His majesty. What are you going to do about that? I want to finish up with with a very quick story this morning. I had the opportunity last week to go to Auburn and hear Jerry Rankin. Now, Jerry Rankin used to be the president of the International Mission Board. He's president emeritus now and so he goes around and speaks and he was speaking on spiritual warfare and missions. And I'm going to tell you something folks, spiritual warfare is very real. You ought to read the latter part of the book of Ephesians if you don't believe in spiritual warfare. But it's true and it's real and it happens and Diane talked about it this morning. But he talked about his time in India and he talked about walking the streets of India and sharing Christ with these people in India. And he's witnessing to this Hindu man. And he walks through the plan of salvation with this guy and in some of the passages in Romans and, he, Romans. and he confronts this man with his sin. And he talks about salvation. And this man accepts Jesus as his Lord and says, have you praised receive Christ? And after they've kind of gone through it and the guys prayed, they're both rejoicing together. And the Hindu man says to Jerry Rankin, I'm so excited. I've got another God to worship. And he said, wait a minute, we need to, <laughs> we need to back up. And think through this again. See, we we can talk about numbers of people groups. We can talk about numbers of missionaries. We, We can talk about numbers of money spent every year in the mission field. But here's the bottom line. Every time we talk about a number, those are real people dying every second into a Christless eternity. You understand that? And here we are, a room full of people who have seen His glory. And we've seen His power. What are we going to do about it? See, I think if we'll go, I think if we'll share, I think if we make Christ known to the nations, then ultimately, they will worship Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your power. We thank You for this text. We thank You for... for, just giving us a clear picture of the nations, Lord, and of the throne and of worship in heaven, Father. I pray it would compel us to action. I pray, Father, we would move beyond complacency. Whatever that means for us, Lord. It's individual for every person. Maybe that means fervent prayer. Maybe that means giving. Maybe that means going. Maybe that means encouraging. Whatever it means, Father, you use us in the way you've called us for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and pray at the altar. And again, you know what occurred to me this last week? I, I say altar every Sunday. We've been saying that for 40 plus years here, and it's true. But we think about the altar because it's it's where we come and sacrifice to the Lord who we are, right? Where we give him, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this at the altar. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to sacrifice this to you, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. So maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to join the church. This is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.